Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Anyone who knows me knows that I love all the upland bird species. You could take your deer, your ducks, your elk, your geese, your turkeys. Give me pheasants, quail, timberdoodles, sharpies, prairie chickens, rough grouse, and I will be, and my dogs, will be eternally happy. And in today's episode, I get to talk about all of them. New this year at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is the Grouse Trail. It's part of the Public Lands Pavilion um, at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And, And we're extremely thrilled to have back our presenting sponsors of the Public Lands Pavilion, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and the Rough Grouse and American Woodcock Society. They're the presenting sponsors of the Public Lands Pavilion. But today we have five partners who are bringing the brand new Grouse Trail to reality. We've got the Rough Grouse Society. We've got the North American Grouse Partnership. We've got the Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society, the Minnesota Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society, and our friends in Wisconsin, Packerland, also joining us in from uh, the Wisconsin Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. So on today's episode, we're talking grouse in the Grouse Trail at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. We've got representatives from each of these partner conservation organizations to talk about the Grouse Trail, what's happening with their groups on the show floor, and we're going to get a sneak peek to a great big bash they're throwing in conjunction with the Grouse Trail. So I've got a lot of guests today. We're going to go around the horn uh, and start. We're going to start in the woods. We're going to start in the north woods and then move to the prairies. Sam Tillman joins from the Rough Grouse and American Woodcock Society. Sam, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Bob. Um, So just a little bit about me. I'm a lifelong hunter um, that decided to make the shift to the upland birds primarily about six years ago and haven't really looked back since. Um, I'm located here in the Twin Cities. And outside of hunting, uh, I'm typically training my dog. So I try and live the bird dog life year <laughs> round. <laughs> what I kind of dogs do you have, Sam? So I've got a poodle pointer, a wire-haired pointing griffon, and a German short hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're covering all your bases. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the only thing we're missing is a little flusher. <laughs> <laughs> is that on the horizon? Um, we've talked about it a little, but I don't know what three is a comfortable number of dogs. I don't, (laughs) I don't know about four. (laughs) So a poodle pointer, my favorite, uh, bird dog breed name to say the wire haired pointing Griffon. Uh, I I get to practice uh, because I love saying that during the bird dog parade. Um, and then you have a short hair real quickly compare and contrast those three hunting styles and are they close to the same age or do you stagger? No, we've, we've got staggered. Our short hair is, he turned 14 in December, oh, wow. um, but he's still hunting. Um, mm-hmm. We're not ready to just leave him be a couch dog. So we just take him on shorter hunts. He can't hear or see very well, but uh, that's what GPS collars are for. It becomes mm-hmm. a game of geocaching. Is he on points or is he lost? Uh <laughs> but makes things exciting. Uh, he's, he still runs pretty big, especially mm. in the open prairie, uh, not as much in the woods. Um, and then our, our Griff, a uh, little closer working. Um, he's a lot more nose to the ground. And my poodle pointer is somewhere directly between the two, mm. uh, which I really like. Uh, she, she keeps it relatively close in the, in the woods and 
she can cut it loose on the prairie, which is exactly what I wanted. That's very fun. It's, yeah. it, it, you know, it is interesting. Like, I, this is a weird, really odd comparison, but I, I liken people's affinity towards bird dogs, uh, similar to their affinity towards ice creams. You know, some people want to try every flavor, right? And I, I'll put you in that category that there are other people that are like, you know, I, Heath Vanilla Crunch is my go-to and I'm just going to keep going back and getting quarts and quarts and quarts yep. of the exact same thing. And I guess ultimately I could be painted into that corner, <laughs> but it is fun to, uh, variety is the spice of life and you've certainly embraced that. That's super cool. Yeah, no, we're we're happy with our little pack, and um, my husband gets to pick the next dog, so I'll see what he he picks. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you pick the first three, or do you go back and forth? Back and forth. I picked the okay. poodle pointer last. She's our youngest. She's uh -huh. two and a half. So, do you get to pick the names of when you pick the dogs back and forth, or do you get to pick That's the breed and then he gets to pick the name? Do you trade off? Uh, we joint pick the names, but okay. he he gets to pick the breed. We do get to say no to certain breeds. <laughs> I I really wanted a Snowy, and he was a hard no on that one. Um, <laughs> no offense to Spinoni. Uh, yes, they're just too big. <laughs> too um, big. Tell tell me the names of the the short hair, the Griff, and the uh, uh, Poodle pointer. So our short hair is Remy. Um, our, our Griff is Motley because he's kind of Motley looking and our Poodle Pointer is named Storm. Storm. Very nice. Yep. Is that like a X-Man thing? <laughs> uh, no, it, it's, it was originally Stormy and we've just since shortened it to just Storm and it fits her. She's yeah, that's she a good name. chaotic and stuff in the blink of an eye, but settles down cool. real nice. Yeah. Well, Rough Grouse Society has been with us um, since the creation of the Public Lands Pavilion as a, as a presenting sponsor. For, so first of all, thank you very much. It's, a, it's, it's wonderful it, it, for me as an employee, but then also I hear it um, you know, from attendees to see the collaboration from all conservation groups coming together on the show floor at Pheasant Fest. You know, it's, it's not like our world is Yankees versus the Red Sox versus the Twins versus the Tigers. You know, this is, we all have, we all maybe have favorite birds and, uh, you know, things we do a little bit differently, but in, you know, in general, we want to be collaborative as conservation groups fighting for the same cause, whether that's, you know, the farm bill, which, you know, a lot of people maybe not realize, you know, every organization here including Rough Grouse Society is involved in, in farm bill conservation or Recovering America's Wildlife Act or the North American Grasslands Act. You know, there's so much that we work together on um, that we all have similar goals. So Rough Grouse Society has been very early on one of the, the early adopters into that collaboration with our organization. So first of all, thank you. Uh, second of all, tell us a little bit about what's on tap um, in your booth space this year at uh, on the show floor, Sam? Sure. So we've actually got a pretty good representation of different employees across the organization. We've got our forest conservation director. We've got a uh, forest wildlife specialist that will be there working in the private lands oh. booth. So if folks have a chunk of property up north, even if it's Wisconsin, Minnesota, what have you. Um, we've got people on staff that you can come and talk to and figure out an idea for a management plan that will work. And, and I think it's, it's important to hit on something that you, you said, Bob, um, collaboration piece. All of us are here because we care about conservation and that's really the end goal is making sure conservation and habitat are, are there. So uh, thanks for, for hitting on that. In our booth, we're going to be uh, really primarily just focused on talking to members, figuring out what they'd like to see in the area, um, letting them know about upcoming events that we've got in Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, we'll be focused on those areas just because it's 
it's just in Minnesota here. Um, but we'll be selling some hats. We've got some brand new, never seen, uh, Ooh. a rough grouse hat and a timber doodle hat. Uh, I think they're pretty awesome. Um, and then we've got our new membership shirt that will be available for folks that sign up for our conservation level membership, which is a dual rough grouse society, American woodcock society membership. Um, pretty exciting. Um, and, and we're just really excited to be part of the grouse trail as well. Uh, I know you'll talk to Jody shortly about it, but I, she's done a fantastic job of kind of wrangling all of us and, and putting all these ideas together and some really cool stuff coming there. Right on. And, you know, for listeners, um, I would encourage you, you know, one of the major things about attending Pheasant Festing Quail Classic is, is being engaged in all these conservation groups. Um, I'm a member of every single one that uh, is on the show floor, including all the groups we have here. And I, I'm bringing my checkbook, my credit card, because I want the new woodcock hat. I want the new grouse hat, right? Uh, because they're, and that's that's the point, you know. They're they're all these groups have really fun incentives to get you engaged. Um, but the, the major point is being, being engaged, being part of the organizations, getting their, their publications, helping contribute to the, to the birds and the wild places that we love to run our, our, uh, uh, our bird dogs and enjoy mother nature. So, um, you mentioned Sam real quickly. I want to just touch on one thing you mentioned early in that is, uh, the Forester in our private lands booth. This is a brand new component. Folks are probably familiar with our landowner habitat help room, which historically, you know, we'll have a dozen pheasants forever, quail forever, farm bill biologists with a computer um, that they can pull. Anybody in the country can come down. You own, you know, Piney Woods in Georgia or prairie in minnesota you can sit down one-on-one with our farm bill biologist and we can pull a satellite image down of your property we have the township range and section of your property we can pull that satellite image down and then take a look at what farm bill programs or state programs you may qualify for to improve your property for for habitat brand new this year and it's perfectly fitting in in Minnesota is we have a forester, as Sam mentioned, from the Rough Grouse Society in the landowner habitat help room. So if you know you're a, a native youper like me, eh? Uh, or if you're from the Northwoods of Minnesota or Northwoods of Wisconsin and you've got a patch of a uh, patch of rough grouse woods that you'd like to figure out how to improve it for grouse or timber doodle. Um, qualify for some of the forest-oriented programs for the state or uh, USDA. Um, we do have that RGS Forester in the landowner help room, so it's it's really an exciting additional new component for um, for the show where we can you know actually it's one of the things that I love about this event. They it's it's so much more than a sports show. People can come to Pheasant Fest over three days in whether it's through landowner relationships for conservation programs or raising money for build a wildlife area program, this three-day show leaves a lasting positive impact on the landscape. And no boat show, sports show can say anything near that. You know, when you, you come to a Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic for three days, we could talk to landowners representing tens of thousands of acres. And, and like last year we were in the Twin Cities, it got us over the finish line through the Build a Wildlife Area project, creating the Cupido um, Wildlife Management Area, which we'll touch on a little bit with some of these partners. And you think about that, a, a three-day sports show resulted in acres of habitat that helps prairie chickens, sharp tails, pheasants, even moose in Minnesota and it's creation of public access for all of us to enjoy. Um, so that's a real big badge of honor um, that every employee and every partner should be proud of. Um, I got long winded there, Sam. Sorry. <laughs> Do you have any, any other things you wanted to touch on uh, going on in your booth? Ben Jones is going to be there, right? Yep. Ben Jones, our, our president and CEO will be there. Um, he'll be presenting on Sunday in the public land stage. Um, 
with a group of other individuals. So that will be good to watch. Um, myself and our Minnesota forester, will, Scott Johnson, will be presenting daily on the stage about rough grouse and woodcock hunting. Um, what we're pretty much going to cover is what habitat you should look for, what gear you need. Um, we're going to keep it pretty con conversational. Uh, we don't don't want to over complicate the sure. process because I, I think that's the great thing about all upland hunting is you don't need a lot of things mm. to get started. So right we're on. excited. We're excited to share that message daily on the stage. Well, thank you very much uh, for being part of it and being part of every public lands pavilion we've ever had. Um, I'm going to move the conversation to uh, Jody. I, I, I have this party girl phrase in my head. Like you, you know, Sam, <laughs> Sam mentioned, you know, you're, you've really coordinated the grouse trail. You, you brought this group together, you know, uh, uh, you know, a more professional term is probably the collaborator, but I just think of the party girl because of, of the party you guys are going to throw along the grouse trail. So first of all, thank you very much for bringing um, this group together under this concept. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and the North American Grouse Partnership. Uh, you betcha, Bob. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm a farm kid from North Dakota. Uh, then I spent 30 years in Minnesota um, and fell in love with the forest there. And now I'm back to North Dakota to the prairie I also love. Um, and I currently work for the North American Grouse Partnership as their communications director. Hence, I get to do a lot of fun outreach like this grouse trail, which I'm really looking forward to. Our mission is the conservation of all 12 grouse species across North America with focus on those at greatest risk, which is, of course, um, our prairie and sagebrush species. And, and we, um, we've been working uh, very closely with you over the last year, um, particularly around the Lesser Prairie Chicken announcement. And we've had um, uh, the executive director of the North American Grouse Partnership, Ted Cook, on the podcast here about, well, I think that was July, and Ted will also be at um, at the event and in part of some of the festivities as well. Um, tell us about the, so North American Grouse Partnership maybe is not super well known amongst hunters. Um, it, mm -hmm. it is a membership based organization, and you have um, some incentives to get people engaged at the show too, don't you? We do. We'd love people to stop by our booth and visit with Ted and I. Um, I guess the biggest incentive, which will be part of the party fun, is we are going to have uh, people be able to enter into door prize drawings if they come to our booth and the other four grouse um, partners' booths. And then they will be eligible for drawings. And we've had some wonderful prizes contributed, everything from uh, sage grouse print to a final rise vest to Onyx memberships. Um, to memberships and hats and patches and shirts from our different organizations. So, yes, we'd love everybody to come and chat with us. Very cool. Well, let's 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 talk party. Give us the deets on the party. All right, our happy hour is going to be on Saturday at four o'clock. Much thanks to OnX, which is sponsoring it. So come grab a free beverage and visit the booze. Um, and then also another fun part of our trail that you could check out that time or any time during the fest is we're going to have a grouse viewing blind. Um, the last booth space will have a blind, much thanks to Ken and the Wisconsin Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. And inside, we're going to give people the real feeling of experience of what it's like to go into a viewing blind on um, whether it's a lek or to watch a rough grouse or a drumming log or just to view wildlife, to go in there. And we're going to have a video playing of all 12 grouse species. It'll be about five, six minutes long. And I got a shout out to Project Upland and AJ, who has helped me compile this video. Um, so bring the kids, go have a look at all 12 grouse species in North America. Um, and then also we're going to encourage donations to the Build a Wildlife area. Um, it's a great program. And so we'll have a couple jars out for people to, I'm calling it, drop some bills for birds um, into, those, into those buckets so we can all support and give back. 
if uh, if folks have never been a, at a blue a viewing blind to see one of the grouse species, I would highly highly encourage checking encourage checking that out. I think about you know I've, I've had pests talk about sage grouse and prairie chickens and sharp tails and each of the and, and rough grouse drumming logs. They are so. It's it's interesting the commonality that they all do some form of display in the springtime, but they are so dramatically different in their sounds and their dances. And you know, you think about a sage grouse, and it sounds, it sounds just like an alien. Where I I can't even mimic, you know, it. it, it and then the sharp tail has sort of a a mechanic. It, it sounds like almost <clears throat> met. There, there's like metal or something with the wings and the um, um, and then the prairie chicken is sort of a combination uh, between the two. It just and then the the rough grouse has the the chainsaw startup. You know, it's the if you've never witnessed, you know, definitely get to the grouse trail and see that display. You will automatically say to yourself, "I got to do this." for real and get out there whether it's the you know the namakagan barrens in wisconsin or you know the uh, prairie in northwest you got you'll you'll say to yourself i've got to experience this in my lifetime it is absolutely magical um one thing before we we jump jody i want to you're also on the stage with um with with a good friend of ours from the wisconsin dnr tell us a little bit about what you're talking about on the stage yeah so cody strong um with wisconsin dnr are going to be tag teaming on a sharp tail grouse in the midwest presentation and basically what we're gonna do is kind of start with the big picture of how is how is it going in the midwest for sharp tail and then break it down to what's going on in minnesota wisconsin and then end with what can we all do for habitat for these birds, whether you're a landowner or not. There's things that we can all do to impact habitat in a positive way for sharp-tailed grouse. Right on. Well, that'll be very fun as well. Um, yeah, the, the public land stage is really a representation of all the uplands. We've got, um, as mentioned, uh, the sharp-tail discussion. Sam is going to be on with talking rough grouse. We've got a quail coast to coast uh session with representatives from all six quail species talking about the different uh quail species in the country habitat for them hunting for them um so it's really fun if you have any aspiration to be a traveling bird hunter and learn different things about the uplands the public land stage is the place to be um i want to give a shout out uh, again to onyx not only for sponsoring the 4 p.m. Saturday, right? Saturday happy hour on the Grouse Trail, 4 p.m. Free beer with donations to Build a Wildlife Area. I also want to thank Onyx for being a sponsor of this podcast, as well as a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. You know, every single time we've asked Onyx to step up and do something for our habitat mission, they've said yes. And including, if you can check out um, onyxhunt.com, if you're not yet a member, or maybe it's time to renew, if you use the code pheasants or quail, you get 20% off your Onyx membership for the next year, and they will make an additional donation to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission every time one of those codes, pheasants or quail, is used on their website, which leads to better habitat, more wild birds, and more public access. So we can't thank Onyx enough. Everything we've ever asked, uh, from the podcast to sponsorship, to sponsor in this, um, the, the Grouse Trail Happy Hour, they have come through. So thank you very much to Onyx. Let's jump to um, Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society. Um, Stacy, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, um, also about the, the Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society, which will also be part of the Grouse Trail. 
Yeah, good morning, Bob. Thanks for having us. We're super excited about uh, participating in the Grouse Trail. And uh, um, I've been with uh, Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society for around 20 years. I'm just a board member. Um, everyone's out having fun this winter, chasing, uh, chasing feathered friends throughout the country. So uh, I uh, stepped up and said I'd give a hand today. So um, I've been working throughout Western Minnesota for about 23 years as a wildlife professional, and I live in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Um, if you could say that the Prairie Chicken Society is uh, excited about everything that has pin A and lives in grass. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, um, we're excited about this opportunity to be part of the grouse trail because it is, like you've said in the past this morning, it's such a collaborative venture between all of our organizations to continue to promote grouse species, the conservation of them, the restoration and protection of habitat for them, as well as educating the public about what they are, how you just talked about their lucking behavior. And if mm -hmm. people have never seen that, how truly um, soul moving being a part of that spring ritual is for so many people that enjoy those birds. So. Um, we are um, we are about to celebrate our 50th year as an organization. So we were founded in 1973 in Western Minnesota. And um, so I'll put in a super quick plug for our 50th anniversary. If anybody knows anything about the prairie chicken, there's a giant prairie chicken, which we call the Big Boomer, out in Rossay, Minnesota, just off of I-94. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rossay is the home of all things prairie chickens in Minnesota. So we will be having our 50th anniversary celebration in Rossay on April 22nd. And so um, we are insanely blessed to have, after 50 years, we are going to have some founding members join us for that oh, celebration. Wow. So um i expect it to be fantastic but um like i said anything we can do to um to protect habitat on behalf of prairie grouse and and help educate the public uh about prairies and their importance uh, mm -hmm. we're all over it so big boomer i've taken my photo in front of big <laughs> boomer and i know i'm not alone saying that that is a really cool statue in rothsay um for a lot of people they you know you mentioned um people just don't know what a prairie chicken is let alone that there's you know a population that's still you know um it's hanging on in in western minnesota um it comes and goes with habitat and weather and give us kind of a like where are we with uh, prairie chickens in the state of minnesota at this moment in time yeah, so over the past, uh, over the duration of that 50 years, mm -hmm. the Prairie Chicken Society has been actively involved in census of the birds and that sort of thing. But um, there's a long strip of land in western Minnesota, if folks are not familiar with it, that exists. Um, it was the it was the Beech Ridge, um, the edge of Glacial Lake Agassiz before um, mm -hmm. that retreated after the glaciation. And because it's so wet um, below the ridge and so rocky in the ridge, most of it was never plowed up. It was used for pasture land um, or set aside. And these birds have made an incredible home there. We sustain a population of around 5,000 birds. And again, like you said, that fluctuates up and down. But it's a relatively isolated population of greater prairie chickens. Um, they do interact with birds in the Dakotas. Um, and we have been part of a restoration process with birds in Illinois and in Wisconsin trying to maintain. Um, the greater prairie chicken is a tall grass prairie lover. Um, and so these expanses of large areas of prairies have have been lost in most significance in the eastern tallgrass prairie areas. So what's left of these birds nationally, other than down in the um, Kansas and, and um, Oklahoma areas is primarily relatively isolated. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we have one of the larger um, populations that is relatively self-sustaining, but like you said, habitat makes a huge difference. Yeah. So. They're they're a magnificent bird. Um, I, I I I love them, and I think so many people fall in love with birds through hunting them, right? Through the connection that they have, and um, I've I've been fortunate enough to to hunt them in 
Kansas and Fort Pier Grasslands of South Dakota. And um, I've, I have applied for the, there's about a, I think a hundred permits that are allowed to hunt uh, prairie chickens in Minnesota. I've, I've gotten a permit before and then had something come up where I couldn't do it. Uh, but it is, I mean, that's a good indicator that th they're sustaining enough to have a limited number of, of uh, hunters chase them every year and have more people fall in love with the bird in the place, like you say, ancient Lake Agassiz, you know, and it is, you know, as you drive down from Detroit lakes and head north and west, and you leave kind of the rough grouse Northwoods and slide down that slope into the ancient Lake Agassiz. And you're like, whoa, you know, as you're heading towards Thief River Falls. And it's like, this is, this is different. And it's, it's just a startlingly, uh, startling change in the topography and in the habitat. And the birds go from forest grouse to, you know, uh, prairie chickens. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is part of what I love about upland hunting. It's just, uh, you're, you're put in some of the most beautiful places and they're, they can be like almost instantaneous changes. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I'm, a, I'm also a member of the Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society. I've got, I've got a really cool blaze orange hat with b big boomer on it. Um, what what do you have going for to incentivize people to join the organization at uh, at Pheasant Fest? Yeah, so we'll be sell, uh, we'll be selling our memberships like everybody else, but uh, we'll also have some um, hats. So I think those those orange hats, Bob, have been pretty popular. Uh, one of our logos or one of our sayings that we really like to promote is uh, our business is booming. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so those hats have that written across the back of them. But um, honestly, one of our uh, most most sought after um, uh, pieces of memorabilia are pint glasses that mm. say our business is booming. <laughs> so we'll have our pint glasses, we'll have our hats, we'll have our memberships, all of those things. But um, our organization is really focused on education as well. And so over the past uh, five or so years, we've really started to dive into some youth events and some um, youth opportunities. So we will also have, we have an art contest every Ooh. year for your um, youth. So we will be advertising our art contest and sharing some of the art um, that some of our, our youth throughout Minnesota and the, uh, the region have shared with us over the past five years. So we'll have a little uh, display of some of those winning entries. And um, we also do a scholarship for students. So we'll have the information out for uh, the scholarship applications for folks who are studying wildlife management or habitat conservation, especially those who are researching anything related to grouse. So those things will be available as well. And um, we're going to have a number of our uh, board members, uh, you know, there and present to answer questions. And we're super excited about the blind experience that Jody talked about as well. So Right on. Right. On. And, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we worked, um, well, really with all the groups here, but particularly with um, Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society to, um, to create the Cupido Wildlife Management Area through... Uh, that was a result of Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic 2020. And um, through legacy amendment dollars in the state of Minnesota and a ton of partners, Minnesota DNR, Fish and Wildlife Service, Rough Grouse Society, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, Minnesota Sharptail Society. Um, and, and there's another brand new WMA that's um, that's got, like I mentioned, prairie chickens to pheasants to even moose on it and you can mm -hmm. uh go back and listen to episode 68 of uh on the wing podcast and you can hear a conversation about that particular piece of property which if you can't tell i i'm really proud of that one and everybody that played a role in it should be that's just i, I was able to drive out it's a long ways from the twin cities like four hours out there um for a day trip but it was stunning. It's just, it's just a beautiful piece of land that's going to be permanently public forever. And that's, you know, beautiful 
land that's habitat for these birds we care about. And that's why we all do this. So thank you for, for that partnership too. Yeah, we're super excited about that, Bob. Like um, protection is one of our um, one of our main focuses. And we do that in partnership with Pheasants Forever and the Legacy Amendment. And we are insanely um, proud of our efforts, but that piece was incredible. So thanks to all of the groups that helped with it, making that collaboration happen. <laughs> I want to um, just touch on the Legacy Amendment because there's folks that are listening all over the country and probably have no idea what the Legacy Amendment is, but just a real... I think it's important to, I travel, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, I probably have seven hunting licenses in my pocket in a given year. And I, you know, from Montana to Arizona to Kansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and you see there's beautiful places and there's wonderful habitat and terrific birds, but you see habitat loss and degradation everywhere you go. And when you come to Minnesota, you see that too, but a shining gem are, is the legacy amendment signs that you see on, across the landscape. And in, 2000, in the 2008 election, Minnesotans voted that three-eighths of a percent of the sales tax be dedicated to habitat, outdoor art efforts through the Outdoor Heritage Fund. And... Um, that fund goes into um, grant proposals, and it, it, it's somewhat complicated, but there's grants that ultimately um, create land acquisitions for public access and habitat restorations on properties that already are on the ground, whether they're WPAs or WMAs, and they help improve the habitat that exists there. And when you drive across the landscape of Minnesota and you see those signs, it's making it absolutely apparent, positive impact for pick your species, sharp tails, prairie chickens, pheasants, rough grouse, moose, um, clean water, uh, places for all of us to enjoy monarch butterflies, honeybees, um, you name it. It is, it's startling how, positive that amendment has had on the um, wild places and wild spaces that we all enjoy. Uh, 2 p.m. on the public land stage, uh, we have a legacy amendment panel. It's being moderated by Rob Driesline, the editor, publisher of Outdoor News. It includes uh, Minnesota DNR Commissioner Sarah Strauman and a whole bunch of other folks, uh, elected representative Rick Hansen, Mark Johnson of the Outdoor Heritage Fund and a number of other folks talk about the Legacy Amendment, what's working, where we can improve it. And uh, I would absolutely encourage people, come at two o'clock on Saturday, capture, you know, be a part of that Legacy Amendment panel, stay for the 4 p.m. happy hour. Uh, you can hang out in the public lands area on Saturday afternoon and kind of learn and, and enjoy a lot of good conversation. Um, I'll jump now. Uh, Jody, in the true spirit of collaboration and partnership, will be also representing the Minnesota Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. Um, tell us a little bit about what um, Minnesota Sharp-Tailed folks have going on, Jody. Um, yeah, the Minnesota Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society will have a booth and um, we'll be selling memberships again also and would love to visit with folks about improving habitat on their land. Um, they will be having hats and shirts and other swag to sell too. Um, and I guess just a little bit about the Minnesota sharp Tail Grouse Society. They've been around since the mid 80s and uh, work to restore and manage sharp tail Minnesota for hunters and non-hunters. And I've gotten uh, the fortune of being their newsletter editor for the last several years and getting to help with outreach. Um, and something we're really proud of is our brush cut volunteer habitat days that we do. Um, not only to engage people and improve habitat on the sites, but to generate match for conservation partnership legacy grants, which is part of the legacy mm -hmm. amendment money that you just mentioned. And uh, we'll be having three of those volunteer brush cut habitat days again 
coming up in April at three wildlife areas around the state. So we'll have information at our booth about those. Um, yeah, so we'll have board members there working and uh, just come visit with us. Yeah, and it, like I mentioned the Cupido earlier, um, there's a, a number of land acquisitions that we've partnered with uh, Minnesota Sharptail Grouse Society very early, like among the very first legacy amendment projects um, in the state back in 2008, up um, primarily along the northeastern um, corridor of, of uh, 35 as you're heading to Duluth, uh, that Hinkley area. We've done a couple of really big land acquisitions that are now public access with Minnesota Sharptail Grouse Society and Legacy Amendment funding. And those projects are some of my pl favorite places on the planet. Um, it's like Noah's Ark, um, a, a wildlife cornucopia and many of them that, <laughs> you know, that one in particular that um, I've been fortunate enough to hunt turkeys and rough grouse and woodcock and pheasants. And I mean, it's just, it's just magnificent areas. And, and again, it's thanks to partnerships, collaboration and the Outdoor Heritage Fund. Um, it's a theme that you'll hear routinely at the Public Lands Pavilion um, for the Minnesota event here coming up. Um, all right, we'll jump to uh, to uh, the outsider here, the Wisconsinite. We, we're, we'll get away from all the Minnesota talk. And uh, Ken, thanks for being a good sport, joining us uh, from the Wisconsin Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you truly a Packer fan like everybody else in the state? And uh, uh, tell us about the Wisconsin Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. Well, I am truly a Packer fan, probably for about 69 years, if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, Bob, for having us. We're glad to be the outlier here uh, from Wisconsin and all our great partners in Minnesota. Um, many of us have uh, a lot in common. Um, I grew up as a hunter. I think I started hunting with my dad when I was six years old and um, been a big part of my life for a long time. Hunted in, well, I don't know, probably 15 states. Mostly I'm a wing shooter and love hunting birds. I also love uh, working for the betterment of birds wherever possible. Belong to many organizations uh, that promote grouse, whether it be rough grouse, prairie chickens, sharp-tailed grouse, um, you name it, spruce grouse. We do have a spruce grouse organization here in Wisconsin. And uh, my, I spent my career, I recently retired, um, from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. I worked uh, in wildlife management for about 37 years, so have a lot of history in multiple parts of the state. Um, been working or being with Sharptail Grouse Society from our inception about 30 years ago. Uh, started out because um, we had a researcher who wrote a long um, research uh, paper report um, about the history of sharptails in Wisconsin and how they once, you know, occupied the entire state basically from the southeast corner all the way up to the northwest and uh, through the years and loss of habitat as prescribed burning or not prescribed burning but wildfires were uh, pretty much uh, suppressed and the forest grew up we lost a lot of habitat in wisconsin and uh, as an organization wisconsin sharp-tail grouse society is very committed to trying to maintain a viable population of uh, sharp-tailed grouse in the state of Wisconsin. Right now, we're looking at the Northwest Sands, which is a unique ecological community um, that is basically uh, running from about uh, Burnett County up through Douglas and Bayfield, Burnett counties, mm -hmm. and trying to maintain uh, sharp-tailed grouse on the sands. We call it the Northwest Sands again. Um, and, and that whole community that goes along with sharp-tailed grouse, whether that be for Cunner Blue Butterflies, or, um, you know, again, we've got a couple species of turtles that are unique to the area. And um, it, it's a, really a community of wildlife that we're trying to preserve. But again, we look at sharp-tailed grouse as the flagship species that we're uh, mm -hmm. most interested in. I, I tease about Wisconsin, but I, I, I love the state of Wisconsin. My brother is a, works for the U.S. Forest Service out of Rhinelander. Sure. So I've got a few maps with the best places to hunt <laughs> in, out, of, <laughs> out of the north woods of wisconsin i also we have a family cabin 
near the Namakog and Barrens, the south between the south unit and the north unit. And mm. uh, again, another one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, and it is unique to the eye, the sharp tail habitat of northern or northwestern Wisconsin compared to as you head further west on the prairie, you know, the barrens landscape that the sharp tails live in in Wisconsin is is really different, isn't it, for the person that right. has never never set foot in Wisconsin and seen sharp tails. Like, describe that for people that may be familiar with, you know, the, the Fort Pure grasslands or the Grand River National Grasslands or or North Dakota where um, Little Missouri, like there's places where we we've chased sharp tails where it's, you know, just sort of a sea of grass with little brush. But the Barrens in Wisconsin is is wholly different feeling to me. Explain that, Ken. Sure, totally. Um, the Barrens, uh, sand Barrens especially, are a very unique habitat type, globally endangered. Um, and uh, again, we're blessed in Wisconsin to have that uh, habitat or community, actually, ecological community that is so unique. And we look at it more as a brush prairie. Um, and again, the, the sands are quite infertile um, in terms of allowing some more forested areas to take over there. We have a lot of pine. Uh, we try and maintain grassland, uh, whether through uh, the federal uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, Forest Service, um, Wisconsin DNR, we're doing a lot of prescribed burning, trying to work with uh, some counties, especially Douglas County and Bayfield County have been very progressive in working uh, with the other partners and expanding that uh, barrens community. And again, we look at it as brush prairie, pine barrens, kind of the same thing, depending on the successional stage of it. But again, we have some common goals of preserving and enhancing and expanding that habitat wherever possible. Yeah. It is, um, it is really well managed. Uh, it's got a really aggressive um, prescribed fire re re regiment um, that you see spring, you know, and you can tell uh, it, it's not open for hunting. I think maybe it hasn't been open since 2014-ish. So yeah, about, about five or six years, I would say, sure. <clears throat> it was and, a, a lottery. Right. Go ahead. Very limited. And right now we're in the midst of uh, the Department of Natural Resources writing a new sharp-tailed grouse management plan. And we're, I'm part of that group uh, representing the Wisconsin Sharp-tailed Grouse Society. But as a whole, we're looking at possibilities for how we maintain this sharp-tailed grouse species, but also what the opportunities might be in the future. We do have some yeah. properties where people train dogs, especially yeah. uh, from July 15th uh, forward through the fall. And uh, we have trials on some of those properties. So it's not like um, those birds are abandoned. And there's a, a lot of recreational use, whether it be through viewing, dog training, or just people coming out to look at the, the sand barrens and seeing what that's all about, investigating the wildlife area and picking blueberries, I might add. A great place yeah. for that. <laughs> oh, sun. you let the cat out of the bag there. <laughs> but you're They're hard you're to find. Right. <laughs> Uh, you took it to dog training, and I was gonna I was gonna mention that too, and I'll probably get uh, my butt kicked a little bit for sharing that. <laughs> but but it is that the barons uh, for the opener of dog training, it is like the pheasant opener in in Minnesota in terms of the um, the amount of people that are on every section corner. To train their dogs on those on those sharp tails it is like you mentioned you can't hunt there right now um but it is a well-loved and well-utilized public property that people run their dogs and train them on the sharp tails rather than you know in a in a way where they can get there for a day as opposed to driving out to the big prairie of north dakota where they gotta you know have a weekend commitment um, the other thing that I think about when I walk the, the, the barrens, and it's similar, I just got back from desert quail hunting in Arizona, and you drive around the desert and you're like, boy, that's really stark, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're just, there's probably not a lot of life there. And then you get out with, you get out with your dog and you walk into the desert and it's like, holy cow, there's a lot of life in the desert. 
you know, from plant life, um, small mammals, and then, you know, she starts seeing scaled quail and gambles quail. And it, I have a similar feeling about the first time I drove by the barrens, right? You're sure. like, you drive by and you're like, scrub and <laughs> there's a dog, <laughs> scrub oak. And, uh, and like you say, small um, uh, conifers and some grassland. And, and he's like, wow, there's, there's probably not much living there. And then you start walking in the barrens and the flowers the and the, um, you know, the, the fireweed and the blueberries and then the sharp tails. And we have and the, warblers as well. <laughs> yeah. And um, this, the wolf sign and black bears and the white tails. And uh, there's some little pockets of wetlands in the barrens and there's all these ducks and shorebirds. And it's like this area is so unique and it is absolutely alive with life and you wouldn't see that from the dirt road until you get out and start running your dog and trying to you know get a point or you know and pretty soon you're lost in how beautiful it is out there there are a lot of species that are well adapted to uh, that type of landscape and we have a forested species especially you know we talk about black bears and white-tailed deer that uh, move in there especially we have a good blueberry crop. The bears are out there feeding. Um, in the winter, it's a great place for white-tailed deer to spend their time. There's a lot of low-growing shrubs and trees that they can utilize for browsing. Um, and especially this year where we have two feet of snow on the ground, I think places like the Barrens probably are loaded with deer. And uh, right mm-hmm. now, access is kind of poor up there. So I haven't been able to run my English setter, which is probably the greatest breed of dogs in the world <laughs> up on the barrens. But uh, normally during a, a normal winter, I, I do get up there and uh, spend some time. But very unique. Uh, thank, yeah. thank you for taking that shot. Um, tell, us about, uh, tell us about uh, membership. And then I also want to hear about the special Wisconsin Sharptail Grouse beer that's currently available. You bet. And we have a, our, our membership is very diverse. Um, we have uh, members in probably, I would guess, 15 or 20 states, actually. And recently, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of publicity. We've got a new uh, electronic media manager, uh, Trevor Bell Richard, who has really uh, put the word out there. We've had some great conversations on several different, um, I don't know, locations and uh, publications that has really brought in people and, you know, brought to the forefront the plight of sharptail grouse in Wisconsin. And um, so again, our membership is very diverse. One thing we all have in common is preservation and um, expansion of habitat, which is really the key for maintaining and expanding sharptail grouse populations in the state. We're at a point where we're, um, the grouse population is fairly fragile. And uh, we've been connected, I think, through uh, to the Minnesota East uh, East Central population, which is also in decline in recent years due to loss of habitat, I assume. And um, we're hoping, again, to, through a, v- a variety of different new ideas, uh, stepping stones where we're clearing habitat on uh, clearing landscapes on county forest uh, to promote transfer of uh, birds through the entire um, sands and, uh, again, great partnerships. Membership is very supportive. We raise funds for habitat work, especially. We're involved with uh, education, publicizing the plight of sharp tails and habitat in the state, as well as uh, working with legislators uh, where we can to pass uh, legislation that's going to benefit these birds. And again, working with DNR, writing a new management plan. So our membership is very supportive of all our efforts, have a lot of donations coming in beyond just membership fees. And we're very happy with that uh, situation. So you asked uh, the question about uh, our new brew. You can't hardly think of Wisconsin without thinking about beer, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we have uh, we have Sharptail Ale as a new uh, uh, partner uh, through District One Brewing Company in Stevens Point. And again, uh, Trevor was uh, our, our media person was very adamant about trying to uh, make a connection with a couple microbrews in the Northwest Sands and try and get, get them interested in produce, producing a product that he was fondly calling Sharptail Ale from the beginning. It's a pretty catchy phrase. And uh, yeah. we were hoping to get a partnership. 
Um, but again, what happened is that uh, we've got a, a uh, fundraiser with the uh, UW Stevens Point Backcountry Hunters and Anglers that's going to be happening February 9th in Stevens Point at the uh, um, District One Brewing um, Company there. And as a result of that, since Sharp Tug Grouse is one of the sponsors of that event, and uh, along with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, they decided, yeah, here's a great idea with Trevor. Let's uh, you know produce a Sharp Tail Ale, very limited production. But again, it, it caught on and a uh, very neat logo um, and also talks a little bit in there about habitat and um, what can be done for sharp tails in a unique barren situation. And uh, so, yeah, sharp tail ale is a thing. I think it's good it, because of limited production, it's going to become a collector's item. The, the can mm. itself is pretty attractive. So if you're into collecting beer cans, uh, besides picking them up in parking lots, um, try and get hold of one of those sharp tails ale uh, cans during limited production. So, very cool, and uh, thank you to District One for for bi yes. biting on that conservation partnership. You know, those it's really cool when the corporations um, see that value and make the connection and help spread the cause. So, so thanks. Yes, for that. and a portion uh, of the proceeds, uh, portion of the proceeds from that uh, beer sale is going to be given to the Sharp Tail Grow Society for doing the work that we do, which is very cool as well. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we've round, went around the, the groups here that are going to be a part of the Grouse Trail. I'm going to do one more pass through uh, as my dog yelps a little bit in her sleep. Uh, my young one. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with Sam and we'll, we'll do some closing thoughts as we invite people out to the Grouse Trail at Pheasant. Uh, go ahead, Sam. What's your what's your final thought that you want to offer as we close today? Sure. Well, first, I just want to say say thanks, Bob, for for having us all on. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the collaboration between the groups. Um, closing thoughts for me. I I think it's important to mention that us folks here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, are are spoiled with what our habitat looks like. Um, there's a lot of areas uh, where rough grouse are, are in danger because of the lack of habitat. So habitat is really what all of our groups are focused on. And just because you see a healthy population in the area you live doesn't mean that those birds are okay. And it's important to put your money where your boots are. I, I feel like I stole that phrase from somebody, but if, if, you're, if you're hunting those birds, please buy a membership for the organization that supports and fights for the habitat for those birds that you love to chase. Well said. I, I don't know that I've ever heard put your money where your boots are. So we're going to, we're going to give that to you for the time being until somebody calls us out. <laughs> Maybe it was Shania Twain, but it sounds like it was yours. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Jody, we'll, we'll give you closing thoughts for two organizations. Uh, Thank First of all, thank you very much for bringing this entire group together, for planning the party on the Grouse Trail. What, what's your closing thought, Jody? Um, yeah, and thank you very much to PF. We really could not do this without you. Um, I guess my closing thought is an Aldo Leopold quote. Um, he wrote or said that grouse represent one millionth of either the mass or energy of an acre, yet you subtract the grouse and the whole thing is dead. And so I guess I like to think of grouse as ambassadors of the wild. They're ambassadors of habitat because there's a grouse species for basically every upland habitat, prairie to forest, sagebrush to tundra. Um, and so they're a great motivator to people to save habitat and save these special places. And so uh, please come visit the grouse trail. It's where wild begins. Watch for the banners at the end of our trail and the grouse tracks on the floor. Very, very nice. It's it's always a winner when you go to Aldo. You you just can't lose when you when you throw it in Aldo. Well, well played, well played. Uh, Stacy, tell us uh, tell us your closing thought from the Minnesota Prairie Chickens. Well, that is super hard to follow up with Aldo quotes. <laughs> yeah, but, it was uh, a little bit of a I... mic drop, wasn't it? <laughs> um. So what I would say is never underestimate um, what a small group of driven individuals can accomplish. Mm. And then 
when you put all of the collective efforts of all of these seemingly small conservation groups together, the impact that each of these organizations is making um, in the, the sake of habitat protection and species um, conservation is incredibly significant. So it's partnerships like this um, amongst all of our organizations that really make an incredible difference. And these groups are doing phenomenal work protecting, managing habitats, thousands of acres um, with, with a small number of members. Yeah. So join us, um, participate, and uh, enjoy the fruits of the labor because this is, this is as grassroots as it gets. So. You did. You knocked it out of the park following all the Leopold. Really well said. Really well said. Um, Ken, we're, we're going to give you final thoughts, but you, you mentioned something that I wasn't aware of in, in your last um, moment there about a spruce grouse organization in Wisconsin. I, I've not heard of them before. Do you have any other? What's the name of that group? Because I, I, uh, full disclosure, I've been up near the boundary waters and in the boundary waters the last couple of years, cross country skiing in the winter. And I've seen spruces with my dogs and talk about a gorgeous bird, just especially the, the, the males with the red around their eyes. And the, I mean, it's, it's a stunner. And I, I think there's so few people that know about them. And I, I frankly didn't know that there was a, population in Wisconsin. Um, tell me about that that group, what you know about them. Sure. Well, first, I want to um, say that the spruce grouse is pretty rare in Wisconsin. They inhabit a, a small area within the Schwamigan National Forest, kind of in the elk range, if you're familiar with that yep. um, area, very northern, uh, central, north central Wisconsin. But uh, there's a, a number of uh, mostly DNR folks who um, are involved with this small organization. And it's something like Spruce Girls Forever, or uh, it's only mm. about uh, six, 60 members, I believe. And, mm. uh, and they try to make an effort to publicize the plight and the whereabouts and uniqueness of uh, having uh, Spruce Girls in the state of Wisconsin. Again, small organization, um, but they do talk about and educate folks about Spruce Girls and, and on the type of habitat that they really need to, to persist in. Uh, exists in, in this state as well as other states. Minnesota has a much better population, more widespread. And if you get it up, up into Canada, quite common. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. again, small viable population still existing in Wisconsin. Got to add that uh, on an occasion when I was working as a biologist for the state of Wisconsin, a guy came in on a Monday morning with this bird and he says, I thought this was a rough grouse and uh, I'm not sure what the heck it is. And here he had a spruce mm. grouse that was, uh, he accidentally had taken thinking it was a rough grouse, but it flushed. And uh, fortunately, the warden was understanding and did not cite him for that. But uh, yeah. we did take possession of that bird. It became a display mount, actually, so that we could use for educational purposes. So it came to a good end. It, it honestly, you could see, like, the males that are considerably darker, you probably right. can tell on the wing, but the females on the sure. wing... I I don't think anybody could fault you thinking that that was going to be a rough grouse, you know, in the air. And then you're back and like, whoa, this is different. You know, they, they, they're, they're noticeably different, but you would never be able to pick that out on the in the air, I don't think. No. And, and again, most people aren't even aware that there's a spruce grouse population in Wisconsin. And there are, you know, that that. Schwamigan National Forest is hunted by a lot of folks uh, for rough grouse and woodcock in the fall. And um, mm. the word is trying to get out there that be careful you're not shooting a spruce grouse. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse sure. me. Uh, when your dog is on point and flushes. Well, th thank you for that. It was, it was just a, something in particular interest to me. So I took you down a rabbit trail. <laughs> what's uh, what, what what's your closing thought uh, for the episode? And, and you are the mic drop for us. <clears throat> Uh, well, I, I just want to say that there's this universal commitment to uh, wild grouse and maintaining wild viable populations of grouse, whether <clears throat> our specific groups are about rough grouse or sharp-tailed grouse, prairie chickens, sage grouse. Again, our, we have a common goal and we support each other to the end that we 
strive to increase and improve habitat for these birds because they're so important, not only for the bird's sake, but for all the other critters that exist in those unique places where we find uh, these species of grouse. And uh, we'd like to see these birds, uh, again, sustained for, in the long haul and to the extent possible expand and uh, remain viable wherever they are found. So, Yeah, very well said. Thank you. Thanks to all of you individually, but then, you know, in particular, all the groups that have made the commitment to, you know, to staff these booths, to, to be a part of, of National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up February 17th, 18th, 19th, Minneapolis Convention Center. You can see the show floor layout exactly where the grouse trail is within the public lands pavilion on the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic show floor at pheasantfest.org. If you're listening to this, there are BOGO tickets out there. There's a link for buy one, get one tickets. It's not going to be there forever. So take advantage of those ticket offers right now. Um, and then please bring your credit card, your checkbook, and sign up for all these conservation groups. Um, sincerely, it, it, it makes an absolute difference to have people involved in these organizations, um, not only um, individually, but then the, your voice as a collective when we go to Washington, D.C., when we go to state capitals in Madison or in St. Paul, um, Lansing, Michigan, you name it. It makes a big difference when we can bring all of these voices together for grouse, for pheasants, for quail, for the uplands. Uh, we all care about this habitat. And um, thank you all very much for committing to the time today to, to record this conversation and invite people that love the grouse species to join our event. Uh, for the North American Grouse Partnership, for the Rough Grouse and American Woodcock Society, for Minnesota Sharptail Grouse Society, Minnesota Prairie Chicken Society, and the Wisconsin Sharptail Grouse Society. I'm Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, thanking you for listening and reminding you, whether it's a wire-haired pointing griffon, an English setter, a short hair, a poodle pointer, a Labrador vishla, doesn't matter. Always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, everybody.